This is Meg Tilton at The 8 Cow Life, episode number 30, My Greatest Example of How to Navigate Grief, my interview with Lori Kinsey, aka my mama. This is The 8 Cow Life, a place where LDS women, and really any woman, can come to learn how every aspect of their life is beautiful and has purpose a place to help you realize how important you are and that this place we call earth just wouldn't be the same without you. So sit back and take a breather in that unfolded laundry and let's chat for a moment about your amazing life. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody on this Monday morning. I am excited that you all are here. It is pretty cold here in St. Louis, but we are headed for warmer temperatures later in the week and some rain, which is much needed. So I know many people are looking forward to that. And I love rainy days. So of course, I'm looking forward to that. Um, Anyway, so we are here and I'm going to share my interview today with my mom, Lori Kinsey. And if you've been following on the podcast, you know that this is a little bit of a deviation from what I had planned. I was hoping to have my interview with Crystal Hunter air today, but she contacted me over the weekend and said that she just wasn't quite ready to share her story. And so I am going to respect that wish and hold on to it until she is. I hope she does change her mind at some point because her interview is amazing and so full of faith and hope and I think could really be a strength to so many people who have gone through a similar situation. So with that news that Crystal um, didn't want me to share her interview, I was thinking about who I could possibly interview instead. And of course, I called my mom because moms always kind of help their daughters out of a bind. And she was super willing to be interviewed and she did a great job. And so we are going to talk today about her experience in dealing with a child who had terminal cancer, um, what that was like to find out that she had cancer, what her treatments were like, and that whole process of seeing her pass away, and the lessons that my mom has learned um, since her passing and the things that she has taken into her life and do differently because of that experience. And it was a really interesting experience for me to be able to talk with my mom about this we have discussed it. It's not something that we don't discuss normally, but um, just kind of see where a lot of my own beliefs have stemmed from the way that my mom handled that situation. And I'm so grateful to her for that example and for passing that on to me. And I am, of course, always grateful for her example. She's an amazing woman. Anybody who knows my mom loves her and would agree that she's as amazing as I think she is. So I'm going to get right to that interview, and I hope that you enjoy it and that you get some good nuggets of wisdom out of it and that if it's something that could help you in your life, great. If it's something that you might feel could help somebody else, I hope you share it with them. So let's get to the interview. So welcome to the podcast, Mom. How are you today? (laughs) Great, Meg. Thanks for asking me. It's an honor. Yeah. So I always let my um, interview guests introduce themselves. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Who are you? Where do you live? What are your hobbies? So my name is Lori Horton Kinsey, and I am Megan's mom. And uh, we are, my husband George and I uh, moved to Washington State 
in um, about 20 years ago, in about 2000. We bought a house here on a mountain and we love it. It's gorgeous. I found out I love raising um, dahlias. And so I plant dahlias every year and it's fun to raise them. I also love to cook. And uh, so when we built this house, I we built a big kitchen and a big island. And so I get to to cook and have people over and and visit. And I'm very busy with church. I do a lot of volunteer work with my church. Then I have eight grandchildren. So that keeps me going to Yuma, Arizona and St. Louis, Missouri, and love visiting them when I can. That's about it. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, you are. I'm a grandma. I'm a grandma. You are a grandma. But you're a mom. Like we always get shafted now, I feel like. <laughs> no. I love my kids. We go on trips. We love going on trips. Hockle, uh, George is retired now, so we like to travel. And when we can, we take our children with us. And you had a yes. fun time in France, right? A couple of years ago. That was yes. an amazing trip. So. Yes, that was very fun. Very tiring, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had a little Lindsay. She was quite yes. young. And I was tough. pregnant with Miller. That's true. Yes. So super fun. You are a great cook, great entertainer. I think that's where I get my love of entertaining from is you. <laughs> I got it from my mother. I mean, I would help her when I was younger in the kitchen. I just remember helping her when she had had friends over. So yeah, it, it's in the blood. That's right. <laughs> so I should let our listeners know we have been referred to as the crying Kinsey's. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> So this is probably going to be a tearful interview. So <laughs> if that's not your thing, sorry. <laughs> this is who we are. It's and it's not necessarily that we're sad. It's just that we wear our emotions near On the surface. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep, that's true. Okay, so today we're actually going to talk about your daughter, my sister, Katie, and the experience that it was like having her and having her go through her illness of leukemia. And then passing away from leukemia and then what you've learned from that experience. So I appreciate your willingness to do this kind of on the spot. <laughs> so there's a lot of things that we could discuss in our interview. And I think I probably will have you back on at some point. I was planning on having you on in May when I do a, a whole month on mothering. And so maybe I'll have you back then. I'm doing another month on cooking. So maybe that would be more fitting for you to be on. You would love <laughs> Love that. She's giving me a thumbs yep. up. So I love that. <laughs> yeah. But today we're going to discuss Katie and that experience. So can you tell us a little bit about Katie to start off with, like what she was like? What did she like to do? Who was she as a person? I was talking to dad before this and um, getting his thoughts on it too. We lived in Minnesota when she was born. That's where she was born. And um, Minnesota, if you've ever lived there, you know it has mile high snow. And she loved to go out and play in the snow with Brandon. She loved being with her friends and she had many good friends. She loved going to school. She, that was always fun for her and her teachers absolutely loved her. Um, she loved doing crafts and um, I think she played with dolls a little bit. You didn't play with dolls too much, but I think Katie did. And um, she was just a happy, a happy little girl. You know, she just, um, you know, she just had a really nice personality, very sweet personality. Katie was about 18 months when she started not to be able to walk really well. So when did you know that something was kind of wrong and decided to take her to the doctor? 
Um, Dad remembers that she, when she was walking by a table or something, she would use it as support, and she hadn't really done it. I mean, she was only 18 months old, so she was barely really walking. But I remember um, thinking that her shoes were too tight, where they weren't fitting her correctly, and they were hurting her feet. And yet I would check her feet, and they weren't sore. There weren't, so, weren't sores on them or anything. So... And then she had this big distended stomach. And so we took her to the doctor because we didn't know what was going on with her. Yeah, I remember our house in Minnesota, we had that mud room in the basement and you had to go down into the basement to get into the garage. And I remember going out to the car and she collapsed, like she couldn't walk anymore. Do you remember that? Mm, well, now that you say it, maybe it's coming back into the gray matter. <laughs> Um, yeah, it just happened so fast. I mean, it came on, it seemed, and maybe it was more gradual. And then when it got really bad, we, you know, it just kind of mushroomed. So, yeah. So you took her to the doctor and what happened then? Uh, the doctor examined her and, um, he, I think he was of the opinion that it could be a tumor because her stomach was so big. And um, I remember one doctor saying, and I don't know if it was this particular uh, general practitioner saying, well, if you have your choice, a, a blood disease would be better than a tumor. So he recommended us to the specialist, which was a, a doctor named Dr. Vorlicky in Minneapolis. And we went to see him and he, um, they did blood work and they did find out that it was leukemia. Acute lymphocytic leukemia. Because mm -hmm, there's several different types of leukemia. Right. And because of her age and because she was a female, a girl, uh, her chances were not as good as if she had been a, a boy. Hmm. That's so, interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. At that time. I mean, we're talking 19. 30 years ago. <laughs> uh, 26, I think it was. Well, is that right? Well, she passed away 26 years 26. ago. Yeah. So yeah, over close to 40 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I remember, I vaguely remember going to the doctor when she was diagnosed and I, I think dad was there. Wasn't dad there? Oh, I, yeah, <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> well, yeah. he was flying a lot. So, <laughs> oh, but yeah, but I, you know, things are kind of dad remembers details and you too, in the questions that you asked, I mean, that you have down, I mean, you remember a lot of details. I was amazed. Yeah. So what was it like to find out that your child had cancer? What were your first thoughts? I mean, it's, it's devastating, but also you kind of feel like you're in the kind of a, a zone where is this really happening to me? <laughs> is this mm -hmm. really my child? Is this really what's happening to her? Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes you just can't process it all. Yeah. So she wasn't really talking at the time, right? Was she talking uh, yet? She was talking a little bit, but not a whole lot. No. So she didn't really fully understand what was going oh, on. Oh, absolutely. Not. No. She probably was thinking, why are these people poking me? Why are they being so mean to me? I haven't yeah. done it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So once she was diagnosed, how did life kind of change for you and the family? I think your life becomes doctor visits and chemotherapy and 
you know, you're just all tied up in, um, in taking care of this child mm-hmm. that has this disease and you try to make things as normal as possible for the rest of the family. But, you know, it's a juggling act kind of. Yeah. Well, I think you guys did a great job of that. Now I'm getting emotional. (laughs) (laughs) But I do. I think I don't look back on my childhood and think that she was ever, I don't ever feel like she was really treated differently other than she was sick. I mean, which I seem to understand, but I didn't feel like she got special treatment in the family, which I think is a real testament to you and dad because I can see where that would be really easy to do. I think you want your life to be normal again, uh, and you try hard to kind of fit in the normal into all that's going on. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you said that because, you know, you always think that the other kids are the ones that are getting the shaft and you don't want that to happen. But because of the circumstance, you just have to go with it, you know? Mm -hmm. So she went through rounds of treatment with chemo and then she had very long stretches of remission. And were you always hopeful that the round of chemo had finally gotten rid of the cancer? Well, of course. (laughs) I mean, that's the ultimate goal, right? Is to get eradicate the cancer and hopefully, you know, it will, you know, not resurface again, but, um, you kind of, in the back of your mind, you're too um, thinking, will this happen again? And you kind of, it, with every visit that you go to the doctor and you have blood work done, you hope that it's all going to be good. You... Mm-hmm. So how did she deal with that? How did Katie deal with like going into, out of, into remission and then out of remission and then going through those cycles? Well, I think she was so young that she she just kind of went with it. The only negative thing that I ever heard her say was when, um, sorry, when she was on prednisone and her, you know, she got so big because of the, because of the medicine. And she looked in the mirror and she saw this big round face and she said, Oh, I wish I didn't have this stuff. You know, my face wasn't so, so heavy looking. But really, that was the only time I ever heard a negative thing out of her. She said, uh, Hold on, Dad's going to say something. When uh, she uh, relapsed the second time. Yeah. Uh, no, when she. I'm sorry, yeah. Dad's saying a little something. That's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, relapsed the second time when she was told down at shop she had relapsed and was going to have a bone marrow transplant. She said it wasn't fair. Oh, uh, he remembers that when she was told she was going to have a bone marrow transplant, she said that wasn't fair, that that was what she had to go through. But um, well, I think out of having cancer for her whole life, basically, that's pretty good. Two for (laughs) two out of what, 10 years of her life, right? That's pretty good. (laughs) But, you know, losing her hair, she. She lost her hair when she was 18 months old when they gave her radiation and they gave her chemo and she lost that almost immediately. But she was so young then that she didn't know that she looked different than anybody else. And I remember going into a grocery store in Minnetonka, Minnesota, and somebody looked at her and thought, and she was heavy, you know, because of the meds. And they kind of looked at her with this kind of um, 
not derogatory, but like, aren't you taking care of your child? (laughs) You know, why is she heavy and why blah, blah, blah. But you know, it's totally out of ignorance. Nobody, they didn't know which, what this poor child was going through. Right. So anyway. Yeah. I think that that's a really interesting point you bring up because prednisone did make her heavy. That's kind of how I remember her is she was always bald and she was always chunky. Because of the prednisone, right. and she would um, eat so much starch. Like she really liked starch. I remember that, like rice with soy sauce and <laughs> baked potatoes with butter. Like yeah. that's what I remember her really liking. <laughs> yeah, and her rice rocket. That's right. <laughs> she she ate so much rice. Um, yeah, so that's um, that's really interesting. But I think that you did a really great job too when she lost her hair. Because you found this cute white eyelet hat that she would wear. And that was kind of her signature statement. Like she, she was kind of known like by that hat. And as her head grew, you had that hat taken apart and had somebody like make ones that were bigger so that, you know, follow yeah. the same pattern. And so she yeah. always wore a white hat. That was her thing. I, I think it was meant to be. We were in California one summer and I went into this shop and I saw this white eyelet hat and it looked like a baseball cap. So it was cool. You know, mm-hmm. it was a cool hat to wear. And I thought, and she didn't want to wear it at first. She would rather go around bald rather than having the hat on. But eventually then she wore it and it felt really comfortable to her, I think. And that was her, that hat. And I remember she was in a choir performance at her school when we had moved to New Jersey at Holland Township. And some sweet lady made, crocheted her this really mm. pretty pink hat. It was kind of like a beanie mm-hmm. um, and had little sparkly things that she had sewn in it. And Katie didn't really want to wear it, but yet she did. And she looked just adorable in that little hat when she had mm-hmm. her little choir thing. You know, mm-hmm. I think it just made her feel good. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I loved her hat. But like, that's how I really remember her in a lot of ways. Yeah. Okay, so you did several rounds of treatment of chemo, and then they stopped kind of working. And at what point were you told like, that the bone marrow transplant was the next option that you had to go down? Okay, so, so she went through treatment in, um, in Minneapolis when we lived there. She actually went through chemo twice. The first one was from 81 to 83, and then she relapsed again in, so she was kind of off treatment for almost three years when we moved to to New Jersey, and I didn't really tell a lot of people then that she had had, that she was in remission for leukemia, Mm -hmm. so then she relapsed again in December of 86, and that's when she started her second round of chemotherapy. And it ended in 89. So it was almost two years that she had the treatment. So then when she relapsed again, after that uh, second round of treatment, we were told that CHOP, which stands for Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, um, they didn't do uh, bone marrow transplants at that time in that hospital. So they told us that our choices were either Seattle or Minnesota. And so since we had lived in Minnesota, we knew the doctors there, we decided to go to Minnesota. And George, your dad, uh, had an aunt and uncle who lived there. And so we thought, well, I could stay with them while she was in transplant. So we took her to, I took her to Minnesota. I went alone. And that's Mm -hmm. the Christmas that you got to spend with your grandmother 
and mm-hmm. grandfather uh, mm-hmm. Kinsey in mm-hmm. um, Penafly, New Jersey. Then I brought her home because they couldn't do the transplant until she was in remission again. So I had I brought her home for a little bit. And then we went back to Minnesota in February. Uh, Hockle remembers that your grandmother and grandma, grandmother Kinsey were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary in February, and they moved it up so that Katie was able to go to that party. So we went back at the end of February, and she got radiation and chemo for about several weeks that they had to do things for her in order to get her prepared for the transplant. Because she wasn't a match, so they had to use her own bone. Right. Oh, that's right. All of us were tested as to trying to be a match for her bone marrow transplant, and none of us was a match. So they gave her what they call an autologous transplant, where they take her bone marrow out, they clean it up, and then they give it back to her. Mm-hmm. And they give it back to her just in a fat syringe. You know, I remember watching them do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so she was in isolation there in Minneapolis for a while. And then um, she had the transplant in April. And then she came home in April. Mm-hmm. And then she relapsed in May. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we told her at that time that that transplant was her last hope. Mm-hmm. Because, you know... Why bother? There was a doctor that said if we didn't do anything for her, she had three weeks to live. And if we did decide to do more chemo, then she could probably have three and a half months to live. And as Mm -hmm. you said in your questionnaire thing, that she then lived a year and a half after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what was her quality of life in that year and a half? I mean, I kind of remember, I don't remember her being sick very often. I think it was pretty good. I mean, she went to school. You know, I thought this child wants to go to school. She wants to be with her friends. And so she was a fighter. If she had to miss school, she was really upset. Mm-hmm. And she tried to be at school as often as she possibly could. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, she she still played with friends. She still, you know, went about her life as mm-hmm. best she could. So she went through another year and a half. And then when did things kind of really start to deteriorate that you knew, like, this is probably the end? Um, well, she passed away on December 11th, 1991. And it wasn't, I would say, in the fall, maybe September, October, that she, you know, wasn't doing too well. And, and then right towards the end, she would throw up this black bile-like stuff. And Mm -hmm. I knew, you know, then that it was, it wasn't good. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want her to tie at home. Mm -hmm. So, so I took her down to chop and, or Hockle did, dad did. He drove us down and, um, was it a Sunday or a Monday? It was Monday? a Sunday. I remember because I was sitting on a couch and we were, Greg, Brandon and I were going to go to church with somebody else. And so we were staying home and you guys, I remember her getting up and walking out to the car. I remember that. Yeah, it was a Sunday. That's right. And then uh, we got to the hospital and dad stayed for a while and then he left. And I can remember, you know, she was so uncomfortable. And so they gave her, it must have been morphine, you know, to keep her so she mm-hmm. wasn't in so much pain. And it was, um, it was almost like 
The minute they gave her the morphine, I had no more contact with her. Mm. Um, she couldn't talk. It was like she was in a deep sleep. Mm. Um, and so um, then, uh, and I, I think it was, um, I remember Bishop, um, was it Thompson? Was he the bishop at the time? And Bishop, no, it was Bishop, oh gosh, can't remember Bishop Stratton. Um, anyway, they, um, they came down to the hospital, they gave her a blessing. And then I think we called you guys, or I called you and told Hockle and you and Brandon that you needed to come down to the hospital. You needed to be there. And yes. so, so we came down on a Tuesday and we all yeah. spent the night there. I right. remember that. Right. And she was just laying on the bed as if she were asleep. I remember her being so puffy. <laughs> really? Too, because I think they had like pumped her full of fluid. Uh-huh. But like her organs, I think, were shutting down. And so she wasn't able to filter that. And I remember her just looking so puffy. And she had, she had had some hair that had been growing in and it had all fallen out again. Oh, wow. I do remember that. I don't remember that at all. Yeah. In just that short a time, huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And then we spent the night all night. And then about noon on the 11th, she passed away. Yeah, I can remember dad was off in another department trying to get the insurance all. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Taking care of, and I remember him calling. It was like, I think he, he called, and um, because I had, I mean, this was before cell phones, right? Right. And so I, re and it was just kind of a miracle that he called right when he did, and I said, you have got to get back here to her room right away. And so he came, and then... Yeah. And then I, I remember running out and trying to get a nurse, but what were they going to do, you know? Yeah. So, and then we were all there. I mean, we were mm -hmm. all there when she took her last breath. So. Yep. Yeah, I remember that. What was that like for you? Uh, well, it's, I don't know. It's, um, it's, well, it's sad. It's very sad because you have no more chance to communicate, you know, with your, with your daughter. But it was also, it was also sort of a release because I remember later thinking um, all the times we would drive down from New Jersey down to, um, to Philadelphia. Sorry. Whoa. All the times we would drive down, I didn't realize how, hard that was and what a toll it was taking and then when we didn't have to do that anymore it was really sort of a release and you didn't have to do this anymore as much as you love the person and you wanted them to be there it was it was hard it's 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 i don't know i can't explain it um yeah, I mean, I felt kind of the sim a similar thing, which is really interesting. I always tell people, if I'm ever discussing this situation with them, I always say when she died, it was such an interesting experience because I actually felt like a physical burden lifted. Yeah. Like, uh, we're done. We're done with like the roller coaster of she's doing well, she's not doing well, she's doing well, she's not doing well. And the 
having to go to the hospital and just all the different things that involved my childhood, really. I mean, because I was four and she died when I was 15. So it was my whole life, childhood, basically. And yet at the same time, it was like the worst pain I've ever felt, you know, having somebody that you love so much pass away. So it's kind of this weird (laughs) situation where you're like, I'm having this extreme pain that I've never felt before, but at the same time, a physical lifting of a burden that I didn't really know that I was carrying. Right. Exactly. And you I, know, that's, that's exactly how I felt. I didn't know how taxing it was to have to deal with this and all the driving and stuff until it ended, you know, yeah. and I thought, I don't think I could have done this much longer. Yeah. But the interesting thing is, is that you could have, because you didn't really know that that was a burden at the time. Yeah. And that that was something that you were carrying until it was lifted from you. You know, I kind of um, liken it unto, I think it's the people of Alma who were, you know, put under bondage by the Lamanites and they had these heavy burdens that they had to carry. And yet the Lord made them light. Like, I think that that's how Heavenly Father kind of sustains us in these instances in our life is that we don't realize the burden that we carry until it's not there anymore. And then you realize, oh my gosh, I've been sustained in ways that I didn't even know. Exactly. I was being sustained. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a blessing that heavenly father gives us that, you know, you can, you can forge through this until, until it's time to end it, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's been about 26 years since she's passed away. And when you look back on that experience, do you view it differently with the passing of time? Like what are some major lessons that you've learned from that experience? Well, I don't view it differently. Well, I, I view it. Um, I have more empathy with people for people who might be in a similar situation. I had a friend at church who, uh, whose former world ex mother-in-law, I guess I should say um, she had become a friend, but not a real close friend. And and she was older than than George and I were. She was like 20 years older or so. But so her husband died very unexpectedly. I felt like I could relate to her, even though I lost a child and she lost a husband. I could relate to her. So I went over one day and I talked to her and we just had the best talk. We laughed, we cried, you know, we shared experiences and we became extremely good friends. And Mm -hmm. so I am not afraid to talk to somebody who has a child who has a serious illness or something like that, because I have been, I have been there. And I think that's the way with the savior. He's been through everything that we have been through Mm -hmm. um, and knows our pains and our, our highs, our lows, our sadness, our happies, you know, and he couldn't empathize with us and unless he had been through it all. Right. I think in in our case as mortals, we too maybe are given opportunities where we can succor other people and help them through bad times because we know what it feels like to, to go there from that aspect. I would never give that up. Mm -hmm. Um, I consider it a blessing. 
to be able to help somebody else in a time of need. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because I kind of view it the same way, probably because you showed me. I remember a time where there was a man in our ward. Well, actually, he wasn't a member yet, and his wife was a member, and she passed away, and he called us at like six in the morning and said, she's gone. And he lived very, fairly close. And so I went over to their house and she was laying on the couch. She passed away on the couch. She was still there. And somebody talked to me later and said, I don't think I could have done that. And I was like, really? Like it didn't bother me because I'm like, well, it was just her body and she died. And I know exactly what it feels like to be there when somebody dies. And so I was, I could see how an experience from my past helped me in my present And I was grateful for that, that I was able to do that and not be uncomfortable in that situation. I mean, it's not like I'm looking for those kind of experiences or want to have those kind of experiences, but if I'm faced with those kind of experiences, it's not something that I shy away from. And I really attribute that to the fact that I was there when Katie died and I went through that process and I know what that's like for people. And so, and really they just need people. Like they just need you to be there. Yeah. So. I, yeah. I found that um, friends who were not afraid to talk to me um, or come by. Um, I remember my exercise teacher who, who I went to a exercise class with um, prior to Katie passing away. She invited me to go to lunch with her and I didn't know her that well, but I just thought, wow, that was such a nice thing for her to do is to reach out to me and not be afraid to be able to talk about Katie or whatever. I think, I think it's kind of like when you have a baby, women like to talk about their experience, you know, to the, mm-hmm. very, to the littlest detail. And in this instance, even though you may cry and get emotional and some of the things might be sad, we need to talk about it. You know, mm-hmm. we need to be able to verbalize our emotions and what mm-hmm. we're going through. And people that aren't afraid to go to you and talk to you about it, I just think are pretty amazing. You know? Yeah. I remember after she died, you know, I think I was a, I was a sophomore in high school. And I remember I came to school like the week after she died and, um, this girl, I knew her. I played softball with her, but I remember her coming up to me and just giving me this huge hug and just being like, I'm so sorry about your sister. You know, and at that age, when you're 15, not super mature, don't really, really understand um, the gravity of that. That just meant the world to me, you yeah. know, that she would be able to broach that subject where I could tell, you know, not nobody else was being rude to me or mean to me, but they just didn't know quite what to say. But she came up to me and she gave me this big hug and she's like, I've been thinking about you and, you know, I'm so sorry. And it just meant so much to me at that time. She didn't do anything big. (laughs) It wasn't anything big. It was just a recognition of the experience that I had gone through, like a validation of it, I guess, to some extent. She, She was recognizing your pain and letting you know that she recognized it. Yeah. I think that's really all you need to do. You just need to say, I am so sorry. You can say things like, oh, you'll see her again someday, or um, it'll all be okay, or whatever. But I think you you don't know that for sure. But if you can just say, I am so sorry, and give a hug, it just means the world. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we covered a couple of the questions just in what we just talked about. So, 
just kind of in wrapping things up, I think that good can come and beautiful things can come out of even our darkest moments. So has there anything come out of this experience with Katie that has been beautiful and that makes you thankful for it? I had not been to the temple prior to Katie passing away. And um, because your dad is not a member, he really didn't want me to go to the temple. But I um, felt so strongly that I wanted to go to the temple um, on her birthday. She died in, in December of 91. Her 12th birthday was uh, April 2nd, 1992. That was the day I wanted to go to the temple. And I wanted to take her name with, with me and have her work done too. And the rule is, or it was, that if you die under the age of 21, you can take that person's name to the temple. She had been baptized and everything. So um, he said yes. And so some we women in our ward went with me to the temple. We, we lived in New Jersey. So we went down to the Washington, D.C. temple. And I took out my endowments. And I remember that something happened with the audiovisual of the session that we were in and it was making us later and later to get into this second session for Katie and I thought I am not leaving this temple until I have done her work you can go home I will get myself home somehow but I am staying here to do this work for this little girl and so I think when you lose somebody there's always guilt involved you wish you had been able to do something more for that person mm-hmm this was my way of doing something for her that she could not do for herself. Mm-hmm. And it was really a blessing in my life. Mm-hmm. And I know in hers too. Um, so that came out of it. That was beautiful. Just being able to relate to people maybe on a different level. And maybe that comes with age. I don't know, just realizing how important relationships are, making them work, being tender towards other people, cherishing your relationships with people. Mm-hmm. My faith has grown um, stronger because I know that I will see her again someday. Mm-hmm. And I think about that reunion occasionally, and I think that it's going to be so beautiful and I look forward to it and as I have granddaughters that are 11 or 12 or getting to be that age I just you know you just realize how precious those girls are yeah boys too. <laughs> I love the boys too <laughs> yeah I think one of the most beautiful things that I've heard you relate from this experience was what happened with Katie's first grade teacher, Mrs. Heeslip. She was like one of Katie's favorite teachers. She had a lot of favorite teachers, but she loved Catherine. Well, Kathy. And, and I believe she was Mrs. Heeslip's favorite student. Yeah. I mean, she absolutely loved Katie. Yeah, but she has, she has four daughters, and one of her daughters, several years later, was diagnosed with cancer yeah, and she had to take her daughter down to chop to oh. the children's hospital of Philadelphia. 
And she was sitting in an exam room and she looked over and she saw a picture that you had given to CHOP and it said in memorial of Kathleen Marie Kinsey. And it was just such a comfort to her to see that at that time. That's true. That was just, that was remarkable, wasn't it? That um, she would be in the same examining room as Katie had been. And that picture was on the wall at that time. Yeah. And it was still there, actually. (laughs) I'm so glad they didn't take it down. I mean, we also gave a picture to the medical center in Milford, New Jersey, and it was back by the um, blood lab because we were back there a lot. I'd love to go in there someday and see if it's still there too. But yeah, yeah, it's it's an honor that they they kept that picture because I wasn't sure whether if you say in honor of Katie Kinsey, you know, whether somebody would look at that and think, oh dear, that child passed away. (laughs) Do I really want to be here, you know? (laughs) Right. But it's the reality of, of what these kids go through in those departments. So Yeah. But the reason I love that story too is because I think it's like such a tender mercy of like how you went through this terrible experience. And that teacher, Mrs. Heaslip, she experienced that actually with you. I mean, she was there through that whole experience. But then how that experience ended up helping her in an experience later on in her life in a very random way that maybe some people would say was chance, but I say is divine intervention. Yeah. I'm glad you remembered that because I had forgotten about that, but yes. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that story with us. I think you're Amazing, of course, because you're my mom. But <laughs> <laughs> and for sharing Katie with everybody. Sure. I think you're just such a great example of faith and devotion and strength through something that could really break people. Under the best of circumstances, it's not easy. <laughs> exactly. And there's a lot of people that would say, you know, that God had forsaken them and that this should never have happened to them, but you right. have really made it solidify your faith and become stronger for that and pass that on to your children. So thank no, you. Absolutely. <laughs> You're so welcome. It's hard to say. I don't think that I would change the circumstances because it's made me who I am growing into a maybe a different human being than I would be if I had not had the experience. Mm-hmm. So all all experiences are for our growth and heavenly father knows what we need to grow and to return to him someday and so um, i love her to death and i just have that faith that i know i'll see her again and i just hold on to that and that's my strength that mm-hmm. keeps me going and mm-hmm. you guys and my grandchildren <laughs> but i like i said earlier i think the grandchildren somewhat trump us now but <laughs> Well, that's okay. You know what? You should be grateful because there are some grandparents that you know aren't as hands-on and I know. don't care that. Grateful. Huh? I am grateful. I'm grateful I, that my kids love you. So you just have to move here now. <laughs> well, we have one other person we need to talk into that. <laughs> well, um, yes. Thank you, thank you, Megan, for having me relive this again. So it's been a great experience. I love you, sweet girl. I um, love you too, mom. 
I certainly do love my mom, and I am so grateful for her willingness to record this again and for my dad for his little cameo appearance. If you're a little confused on what my dad's name is, his name is George, but the grandkids call him Hockle, and that is a story probably for another time. But that's who we were referring to often in the podcast was George or Hockle or dad. Um, that is who he is. But I just wanted to thank my mom again for being brave and coming on and sharing that story with everyone and for her willingness to be interviewed and for her just awesomeness because my mom is awesome. So I hope you all have a great week. I hope you all come back next week where I will be discussing more um, about grief and how to make sure that we have clean grief and that our grieving process is one that is beneficial. So we will talk to you next week, and I hope you all have a great week until then. Bye-bye.